this is a family program, so we'll talk later about the kind of gestures that I was making, which is Italian for, we make it this less complicated for you. And welcome to Tech Moonshine, coming to you straight from a cabin in the Virginia woods. Tech Moonshine is the best place to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are both experienced technology professionals and, just like Quality Moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns, and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins! And welcome to Tech Moonshine, where you will get 200 proof, honest truth, from a cabin in the Virginia woods. And Sean, this week, we're going to talk about hardware hacking. And... What you might ask is hardware hacking. Well, let me just frame it for you, Sean. Um, I is that recently, when you break into hardware? Mm, no, and it probably should be pointed out that hacking is not a bad thing in and of itself. Um, it's only turned into a bad thing by the media. But um, I have recently started getting into, as you know, as we talked about on a previous show, drones. And... Drones. Drones. If you go out and you try to find a drone right now, um, you have one of two options. You have the lay down uh, a little bit of money and get something that's terribly crappy. Uh, We got Cole a drone for Christmas. It has a camera on it. Um, We got maybe seven flights out of it before it just turned into a big plastic piece of junk. Um or you can lay down a whole lot of money um, on the order of anywhere from 500 to multiple thousands of dollars um, to get a drone. But there is actually an option that is in the middle price range if you have a little bit of ingenuity, which is that you can go uh, build your own drone. You can hack your hardware together. Um, and one of the popular things that people use is this board called the KK2. Uh, it's got uh, an onboard gyroscope. It's got software that they've written for it. Um, it's a pretty amazing board, and it has uh, a lot of configurations and basically everything that you need in order to hack your own drone together. Um, it is pretty amazing, and I've actually kind of fallen into a, a rabbit hole recently researching this. Um, but that is a very, very small use case for hardware hacking. And so, Sean. I know for a fact that you, we've talked about it on previous episodes, that you have hacked hardware together. And I am curious what your thinking is on a lot of this hardware hacking that's been going on. You know, um, what options are there? What do you think about it? Not only am I an expert, Mike, I actually have qualifications. I have not spent my whole life in this small cabin in the Virginia woods. In fact, (laughs) there was a point in school where I actually was a teaching assistant for the digital electronics class. That is how legit my electronics um, reputation is. I know, it's very impressive. Try not to be overwhelmed. Um, So I I started my career in building electronics actually back in high school and then through college. Um, And I would learn as much as I could back then. And this was even before the internet was really had all these sites out there for hobbyists. You have to buy books and you have to experiment. And... Back, back, this would be maybe a long time ago. Let's just say Sean is not as young as he'd like to be. (laughs) Back then, what hardware hacking meant was, hopefully if you were lucky, you knew some other friends, some hobbyists, 
and you would get um, this DigiKey catalog, which was this huge catalog that DigiKey, which is a company, offered that had every electronic component in it. And that was really your only source to find all the things, the resistors and the the microcontrollers and everything that you needed. And you try to learn as much as you could, and then you go to college, and, and I took lots of classes and learned a lot very quickly and got quite good at it and enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and I worked as a technical director at a radio station for a while, which was fun. And so it was really fun learning that way. I think that back then, though, the frustration was it was so hard to learn. The, the knowledge was difficult uh, to come by and so hard to get the components that you wanted that the barrier to entry was very high. And if you compare that to today, where you have obviously a wealth of information on the Internet, you have YouTube videos, you have websites with instructions, a lot of you information know, Sean, is out there. The majority of the wealth of the Internet is contained on YouTube. It is. You just have to kind of get packed some of the, the kitty videos. Um, well, the kitty videos, videos is where of, all the really good wealth is. That's Well, they, there's some great kitty videos of the, them assembling circuits, which I, I highly recommend <laughs> watching. Okay, very nice. Very but nice. now, and also, you can buy components almost everywhere. In fact, uh, I, I want to bring up a, a key point. This is this is very important. Mike knows this point. I mentioned before the show, we have to talk about Radio Shack, right? So Radio Shack is a store that I guarantee you haven't been into for at least five years. And the reason I know you, it you is would be wrong i have been into a radio shack within the past three weeks really yes to what? I, to, uh, well it's kind to of buy a, what it's kind of a long story um but i ended up at, at the mall on christmas eve trying to buy a gift for my father-in-law um and radio shack is where i found the gift that i got him whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. we're taking a whole step back you were shopping for a gift for your father-in-law on christmas eve yeah, you left well, it till the last minute, Mike. No, 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 no. We we have a, a family tradition here in the Rollins house in the Virginia Woods, which is that uh, on Christmas Eve, um, all of the family that's in the that's in the 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 house uh, will draw a name, and we will all take a certain set small small set amount of money, um, you know, twenty five thirty bucks, and we will all go out and you buy a gift for the name that you have. And so Mike did the, the only rational thing, which is you bought him a new soldering iron and try to get him into this right, kind of yeah, yeah. hobbyist electronics. Uh, what I was going to say about Radio Shack is if, if you imagine this world that I'm describing where it was hard to come by information, Radio Shack has lots of financial problems. But the magical thing for Radio Shack for me has always been there is a retail chain that has locations almost everywhere that inside has basically every electronic component you can possibly want. So if you go to the back of any Radio Shack, in the very back, there's a bunch of drawers that have resistors and LEDs and stuff like that. And nobody ever goes back to that part of the store. But you, if you were a hobbyist like me back in the day, this was magical that these locations had all these components anywhere you wanted. Um, and it was very important as part of the development of, of, I think, hobbyist electronics. And that was where Radio Shack obviously got its start selling uh, radio components and today now that i now that i mentioned the internet's expanded you can get these components everywhere and, and it's a little bit less exciting although i do go there sometimes out of nostalgia to pick some pieces up but the fact that it's available means everybody can do it mike i think the challenge is uh you know electronics is hard it involves complicated things like math and programming so mike how do we get everybody hacking their own hardware what is it going to take to get everybody sitting there and building their own circuits hmm um I, I am not certain what is going to get everybody building, but uh, I would I would like to say that um, I got an Arduino board recently, 
and I was playing with some of the basic elementary circuits. And one of the things that I had a hard time doing was getting the um, the multicolor LED to light up. And I recall that I pinged you about it and I said, well, maybe I'm just doing this, 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 or this wrong. And your remark to me, which was very helpful, was based on your incredible understanding of electronics engineering um, and uh, circuits, you obviously have this figured out, right? And I think the thing that to take out of that is that this is actually science. This is really hard. Um, it is not something that you, you can kind of commit to it uh, quickly and easily, but to get good at it, I think that you have to put a lot into it. And there's a lot of theory and a lot of understanding that you need to be able to um, grasp in order to use it. Uh, Mike, you use a very important word in there, and that word was... Theory? Arduino. Arduino. Yes, oh, which man, is Italian so for... We make it this less complicated for you. <laughs> okay, and so, so... Th there's an Arduino and then there's a Raspberry Pi. Um, which are two of Dude, the Dude, you got primary. some Raspberry Pi? That's fantastic. I'm Dude, really hungry. Can I have a slice? Raspberry Pi is so good. It's not quite as good as Key Lime. But Raspberry Pi is very good. And um, by the way, if anybody's curious why I'm so hungry, if you if you caught the last episode, our still actually had a major accident. Uh, it turned terrible. out on, on, on New Year's, a lot of people were setting off some fireworks. It turns out Mike and I, we didn't have to do that because um, the still took care of that for I'm us. But we're kind of stillless right now oh, until yeah. we get a new one going. So... We're busy here just, just baking in the kitchen and, and making some pies. Um, <laughs> Mike's yeah, got so, a, put some pie in his mouth. <laughs> so we... <laughs> so, 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 Sean, tell me the difference. What is the difference between an Arduino board and a Raspberry Pi? I'm glad you asked that, Mike. And so um, before we get to, to, to why, let's talk about what has changed now in terms of the tools for hobbyists. Because I mentioned you can buy things online, you can watch videos. The challenge always, though, if you're building electronics, as Mike said, is it's complicated. There's lots of questions. So for example, let's say we wanted to build a simple circuit. And what the circuit would do is that it would sense when uh, the, the sun went down, it would turn on the lights in our house, which may not sound simple, but it's not super complicated. The problem is we make it a microcontroller, then we have to worry about the clock speed, we have to make sure we worry about the power system on, on the board, we have to make sure we're grounded correctly, we have to make sure we've set up the sensor inputs properly. And all that sounds really complicated, because frankly it is. So what if you didn't have to worry about all this stuff? Is there a way to lower the barrier to entry for electronics by solving all of that crazy stuff I mentioned, which is not super valuable for you to know, it's kind of the noise around how hard physics makes electronics. And what Raspberry Pi and Arduino both have tried to create is an environment where they solve a lot of the basic problems for you so you can learn at your own rate. And so they're both boards or home electronics kits that you can buy that provide you a very strong basis for creating your own circuits, your own systems and electronics without having to worry about a lot of the details about getting set up, so it lowers the barrier to getting started. The difference between the two is what they're used for. So the Raspberry Pi, to start with, is a full computer on a board. It's very small, it's like the size of a credit card, costs about $35, runs a full version of Linux on it, uh, so a full Linux distribution. And really, it's, a, it's basically a computer and a credit card. And you can use it to write programs, to control things and do anything you might imagine and has lots of inputs and outputs. The Arduino on the other hand is what's called a microcontroller which is part of a computer. It's like the logic center of a computer um, and so it doesn't run an operating system. You can write a program and have it run it but it's more like an embedded system where 
it's either on, meaning it's plugged in, or it's off, it's, it's not plugged in. It doesn't have a display, it doesn't have audio, you can't listen to music on it, and these kinds of things. And so ostensibly on the surface, you'd be like, well, the Arduino, which costs $30, by the way, is uh, substantially inferior to Raspberry Pi. Why would I get my money's worth and just buy a Raspberry Pi? Well, the Raspberry Pi is great for applications where you need a full computer. So let's say we wanted to, to write our own you know, music system or something to show video and things that are complicated. Uh, it allows us to, to jump ahead to the higher level reasoning part of what we want the interface to look like and that stuff. However, if you wanted to do any sort of interesting sensory work and work with analog type sensors, things that t that measure the strength of something or that change, you know, touch sensors and these things, it's harder to do that. The Arduino is meant to work at a lower level. And so the Arduino is very particularly designed to take inputs from analog sources, from digital sources, to actuate changes in the world. And so you might use an Arduino for our example of something that turns the lights on and off if the sun comes up and down. But if you wanted something that would play different music based on the time of day, you probably would use a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and they're both reasonably priced. They're both easy ways to get started with this. Um, both, by the way, have great starter kits. And so if you get Lissa's episode and you want to get started, just go online and search for either of them. We'll include links in the show notes if you know we do that anymore. <laughs> and you'll be able to find them and get started. It'll be great. Mike, aren't you just can't you can't wait to get back to your Arduino board, can you? I can't wait. Actually, I'm very excited. Um, I, I really like this. One thing I would point out is that um, on the Arduino, you actually have access to the run loop, um, which I would be very shocked if you have access to on the Raspberry Pi. Well, the Raspberry Pi, since it runs Linux, is actually a multi-threaded operating system, so there right. is no run loop. Right. Okay. Exactly. So the Arduino is definitely simpler, but I get I take your point about. If there's a very single-use single, single use purpose, then you would probably go for an Arduino. Um, or something sensor-heavy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can you can definitely, I think, in, in my playing with the Arduino, um, you can hook it up to... Uh, there's digital ins and outs, and there's analog ins and outs. Um, and they definitely both serve different purposes. But Mike, um, tell us a bit more about your Arduino. So you, you got your board, you were setting it up, you are trying to get these multicolor LED lights. I think people need to know that it, you didn't just pop the bo box open, assemble a circuit, press a button, and it just worked. Tell us a bit no. about, about the struggle. Yeah, so, so the the Arduino, I got the Arduino Uno. And um, it is it was a nice little starter kit. It came not only with the Arduino board, but it had uh, a bunch of different circuit components. It had a small breadboard attached to it. Um, it had some LEDs. It had some, um, uh, so it has some actually uh, some actuators. Uh, I think it even has a small motor. It's just this nice little package. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can find the the link and put it in the show notes. Um, I think I paid about uh, right around fifty bucks for it, um, and it turned out um, to be a very uh, useful system. But it also comes with a book. And so for me, that book was crucial. And even though there's all this incredible information on the internet, a lot of times uh, it's it's a matter of trying to find the important information to know where to start. And so this book of simple circuits, and it actually goes into some pretty complex circuits, um, is where I started. And you know, it it starts out with. Um, Here's your environment, because obviously you, you write these little Java programs, um, you embed them into the run loop, uh, you push that onto the Arduino board via USB cable, and then um, 
uh, it'll run that program over and over and over again. And so at that point, you can start checking things like, um, is there some kind of a sensor input or is, uh, am I just making lights flash? Um, and I work through about the first, you know, five to six circuits. Um, and so it, it was as simple. The very first circuit is as simple as make a light blink. Um, and it tells you, and it gives you like fine grain control. Like I've got this little, uh, this little led, it's an amber led, uh, and I turn it on for a half a second and then turn it off for half a second and then turn it and on. And it teaches for you a how second. not easy that actually is, oh despite God, the fact that it sounds easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I started abstracting away their little simple programs very quickly. Um, basically just like turn on, turn off. Um, uh, and then, so then you build into a multi led circuit. Um, you keep going at one point, um, they give you a circuit that is basically um, uh, now then they add in a multicolor LED where you get your RGB inputs um, and you attach those to an analog output and you start pushing in basically the color patterns that you want. And that's the one that failed on me and I could never get it to work. Um, and to this day, I've actually been looking through some um, uh, some other materials for the drones. And I realized that I might have had like a capacitor inverted. And unless you know that you got to look at the notch on the capacitor and that makes a difference, you, you just you, you don't you don't know. It's you're clueless. Like wh why isn't this thing working? Um, yeah, and you look uh, at it and it looks fine. And and I will say that electronics like physics is completely unforgiving. <laughs> And I don't oh, think yeah. people realize with using software on their computer how much software developers go to great lengths to make software forgiving. And the yes, real world do. of physics is completely unforgiving mm -hmm. in that way. Yes. And so I was never able to get this multicolor LED to light up. Um, I was, however, able to make um, the next circuit up, which was basically make a bunch of lights dance in serial. Um, and that one was really fun. And I actually ended up with a really cool series of pictures based on that. Um, but cool. I think they should feel better, Mike. A cap capacitors are actually not directional, so it wouldn't have mattered in which okay. direction. Yeah, I don't, it, so man, I remember reading something about the notch. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, yes. I, I am, you know. LEDs and diodes are directional, and there are some other components, but capacitors okay. and, and resistors are not. Well, when you're just making some... By the way, if you're curious what those words mean that I just said, uh, you should get yourself a hobby kit and get started with electronics yourself yes. today. Um, I will say that I got a little ambitious recently, and in talking to one of my buddies, I've got this really good buddy that's a mechanical engineer, and he actually does a lot of playing with um, building his own RC cars and drones and stuff like that, and he actually has a drone built out. Um, he clued me in that a lot of the things that you find scattered across the internet, you can actually go to eBay and get for half the price. Um, you just have to be willing to wait three to six weeks for them to get shipped from China, um, which is very entertaining. Um, but so, Sean, I mean, you know, what is the secret? Like, is there a way to make this easier? Is there a way to make it more accessible? Is there a way that my kids can go jump in and play with it? Like the Arduino is definitely a nice thing, um, but it's still hard. It's true. And I think that the challenge I struggle with and I always have is I think the fact that it's hard is not bad. 
because I think the fact that it's hard requires you to learn lots of different things. And, and in a minute, I'll talk about the project that I undertook recently to get back into the hardware uh, electronics business. But I'll say that I, a lot of things, we try to make them easier and they're harder. I actually would think that in this case, like many things, instead of making it easier, if we could increase the motivation or desire of people to want to do it, so that they're willing to overcome the frustration, the difficulty, that would be a better solution. It's like mathematics. You're never going to make math easy. If you could just want uh, develop reasons for people to want to do math and want to learn math, you'd be in much better shape. And I think that's true of this uh, as well, because there's only so simple you can make this before you've simplified it to the point where it's not helpful. Except for if we're talking about very young children, and we can talk about that in a second. But let me talk about why I feel so passionately about this. So I, I picked up the baton of electronics recently, as I mentioned in the last episode. And I decided I had to, if I was going to get back into it, I had to find a project I really liked, I really felt passionate about. And something I felt passionate about was I got very frustrated. I have those gloves that you wear in the winter that are, are smartphone compatible, right? In mm -hmm. theory, I should be able to use my smartphone screen while wearing my gloves. And of course, those they kind of work and they kind of don't work. And I got very frustrated. And I'm walking down the street. And what I really like to do is be able to change the song on my phone or answer a call or do something by just gesturing with my hands. I don't want to take my gloves off. I don't want to get my phone in my pocket. I just want to make hand gestures. I would like to point and out I, for I, those that are not watching right now that you talk with your hands. So this makes a lot of sense. And, you know, being Italian, that's kind of what comes in the territory. <laughs> And so I found myself walking down the street making the kind of gestures with my hands that I'd like to control my phone with. And I'm like, you know what? I should build a set of gloves. Did people that move will to the other side these. of the street as you were doing this? Well, they they thought I was talking to myself, which I do quite was a lot it, with my hands. Was it yes. was it was it like the old Nintendo gestures, like when your mom picked up the Nintendo controller and if she wanted to go Mario to go right and jump, she would like throw the controller up into the right was it is it those kind of gestures <laughs> or is it is it a different the, kind of gesture this is a family program so we'll talk later about the kind of gestures that i was making <laughs> <laughs> and okay. so i decided that i wanted to make these gloves and so i had my arduino set and i started playing around as mike said you go through some basic exercises to get used to the arduino and then i'm okay let's make these make these gloves and i figured the easiest way to get started in the simplest form of these gloves would be a glove where you could make different actions happen on your phone if you touched your thumb to the finger, uh, different fingers in your hand. So if you touch your thumb to your forefinger versus your middle finger versus your ring finger versus your pinky, different things would happen. So you'd have four little areas of control. And you'd do a double tap, basically. So, so you don't accidentally set off your phone or something. If you did a double tap on each finger, that would trigger some action. I figured that was the simplest possible solution. Sure. And to tell you how hard this is, that's actually not super easy, right? <laughs> so the difficulty okay. there is not the Arduino and the software. It's how do you get a sensor working against your fingers? How do you sense when your fingers touch together? I tried out a lot of different stuff. It turns out that there's something called a capacitive sensor. And a capacitor, a capacitor if you're not familiar with how a capacitor works, really a capacitor is like having two big metal plates next to each other and running a current between them. And what happens is, based on positive and negative charges, the more current that there is, the higher the capacitance. And there's lots of other aspects, but one thing capacitors will do is they will dampen systems. And so they, you know, if you were, you know, imagine a system where you were jumping up and down, but then you were jumping up and down trying to hold 20-pound weights, you're not jumping up and down as high if you're holding those 20-pound weights. And so capacitors will dampen systems in that way if they're oscillating. And so um, instead of, you know, trying to create these fancy buttons on the fingers, I realized that if if I just um, put a, uh, a sensor on the finger, 
Um, it actually, your your hand itself is actually a fairly good capacitor, right? Where our mm -hmm. skin is very conductive. And there are a lot of uh, touch capacitors out there today that very simply, the only way they work is they sense when your finger gets close to them and they, they sense that capacitance changing. They sense the dampening in the system changing. And in fact, that's how your smartphone screen works today. So capacitive sensing on screens works that way. They figure out where your finger is based on the fact that your finger is mildly electronic and can actually change okay. the capacitance underneath what it's touching. And so I, I, I got a glove and I wired up some wires to the fingers and I had these little metal sensors in the fingers to figure out when the, the fingers got close and I started playing around with it and lo and behold it didn't work. And then I tried it again and it didn't work. Because hardware is really hard and if things simple things like grounding or bad soldering connections or almost anything can get in the way of actually making it function properly. And you end up, as Mike said, you look at a circuit you've created and it looks right. It looks like exactly like it's supposed to look. Totally right. And it doesn't work. And sometimes it's not even the circuit. I, I knew one guy at one point building a, a system that was not working because um, the frame he put it in had some leakage and was grounding out his, his circuit. So it's not always what you did. It could be something around in the vicinity of what you're, you're working on. However, eventually I got through the issues and I got it working and there is a video up of, of how it works. But, you know, even having done this before and having worked on this, it still took me about a week to get that first prototype up and running. So it was not an easy thing. And what got me through it, though, was the fact that I really found this to be an interesting problem. This is something that I wanted to do. Right. It was tactile. It was something that was natural for me. If you'd asked me to go out and, you know, create, like, for example, this switch that would turn on and off when the sun comes up, I'd be like, yeah, whatever, right? I'll give up after half an hour because this is hard and that isn't exciting. So it was picking a problem that I was really interested in that caused me to go out and learn what capacitive sensing would be, to learn about mm -hmm. how to actually set up an Arduino to sense those. How do you figure out that it actually was a full touch instead of just a finger getting close to another finger? And how did you figure out which finger it is? And all these kind of aspects. It's interesting if you put it in the context of a problem you really like, and that's what... I was successful in doing, and I feel like if people want to learn about electronics, the first thing you need is to pick a problem with something you really want. And it's okay if it mm -hmm. sounds cheesy, and it's okay if it sounds hard, and frankly, it's okay if somebody's solved this problem before, because what I'm describing, this glove, you don't know this, but if you do research on the internet, you'll find this very quickly, these kinds of gloves have been being built for like 20 years, Right? right. This is a very common kind of computer interface that you use for design and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was not the first person to come up with this. I won't be the last one. It just happened to be a problem that I liked that I wanted to solve. And again, somebody else in 20 years will try it again. Right. And so right. it wasn't the uniqueness of the idea or the technology thought of it. It's just something that you like to do. And so, Mike, that's what I think is important. And I challenge you, Mike, what is the thing you're going to build? I want to build something that flies. Um but that you know the year a flying you're, still that would help us out a lot with some still. of our our law you know what? enforcement we could challenges. Move it, dude. We could move it. Um, we should actually put some Arduino sensing on this one and stream the should. the status and the pressure live to the internet. You know, maybe we could put some capacitive current through the the frame of the still, so we know if that dude's siphoning off again. That's a good idea. This is gonna be That's the world's first million dollar still we're gonna put together here. This, this is, is gonna great. be great. This is gonna be great. Um. Now we're we're getting towards the end of the show, but one of the things that you bring up, Sean, is um, is that you actually touched on like just the desire to make things, and the desire to find a problem and to solve it, um, and that actually reminds me of this thing called the maker movement, um, and the way that the way that I would describe the makeup the maker, movement, 
But Mike, the, my makeup looks fantastic, doesn't it? Your makeup is also very good. Yes, Sean, very good. Um, that blush definitely highlights your smoky eyes. The the maker movement is is like, have you ever seen um, Harry Potter is probably the perfect example. Like you see all these crazy things while Harry Potter is walking around the castle of Hogwarts. And you see all these amazing like creatures and animals and special spells and, you know, pictures that talk. And and this is kind of like what the maker movement is. It's people that are getting a hold of um, commonplace or, or not even commonplace, but available electronics and available hardware and building it into things that are just unbelievable. Um, and so some of the things that I've seen um, uh, come across on the maker movement are um, like, you know, 3D printed amazingness um, or, you know, uh, swarms of robots that will uh, reassemble like things um, or play soccer or do a lot of amazing things. And so um, it is important that we all try to find problems to solve. Um, and that, you know, it's important to know that there's, there's kits and there's things that you could use to do it with. Um, so that is kind of the essence of the maker movement. Um, and we should all be makers, Mike. We're we all, makers all makers on the inside. Yes. Except for those guys at makers mark because our alcohol is better than theirs, which that's right. So well, some yeah. of us are making alcohol, which is okay. You know, it's very impressive. Yeah. Alcohol is, is important to make. Listen, it's probably the oldest form of chemistry known to man. Well, there you go. Yep. Next Deep week thoughts on Tech from Mike Rollins. Yes. We are going to talk about the chemistry of alcohol. Um, which, by the way, chemistry is a whole lot more attainable for me than the theory of electronics that goes into the physics behind uh, a lot of these hardware boards. It's, it, it's, it's pretty mind-bending. Um, I have one more quick anecdote about how hard it is to learn electronics, Mike. Let yes, me just I'd love one to out hear for it, you. Sean. So many years ago when I was in school, which like I said was many years ago, but not super long ago. No. And you were, you were taking How's that physics just for men talking, color working out for you? Well, I, since I only have one hair left in my head, it's kind of really easy for me to color it. I just use a, a Sharpie and I just go to work. Sure. I realize for other people that technique doesn't work if you have more than one hair in your head, but that's just life. So if you're taking, back when I was in high school, you were taking physics and you're learning about electronic systems. Uh Originally, in the very old days, uh, scientists thought that protons would move around and, and electricity existed because protons were moving through the system. And we since have learned, of course, that's not true. Electricity is the movement of electrons through through metals and through other, other means. But the curriculum was never updated. And so you basically what? had to learn everything backwards. You had to learn it as if the protons were moving around, even though you know it wasn't protons, it was all electrons. And that was not super long ago. So, Mike, our education system still isn't caught up. They're making it oh. harder on us by pretending like everything is in backwards. It was very frustrating. I just had to rant about that for a second. Rant, Sean, rant. And on that note, that will bring us to the tech topic overload. Tech topic overload. And um, this week, Sean, we are going to discuss two things that have delighted us at CES. Um, and I will kick us off. Um, the first thing that I saw um, at CES is the uh, this cone of silence thing. It looks like this enormous golf ball that you basically settle around your head. And it has four microphones on it. And it will actually uh, basically cut out. It, it, it's, it's like a, a, a super steroidal pair of noise-canceling headphones. 
um, except it basically works on everything around you. Um, the only thing it won't cut out is the sound of human voices, which probably defeats the purpose entirely, because why would I not put this thing around my head if I didn't want to hear you rant and rave anymore, Sean? Um, but that I have is... never ranted or raved ever before in my entire life, Mike, I'll have you know, and let me tell you why. No, why not, Sean? That that was I was supposed to be ironic because I was ranting. Oh, that was ironic. Sorry, Sean. It was funny. It turned out it was, humor I was actually sometimes. a joke. It was very funny. Yeah, I have problems with your humor. It's okay. It's okay. So, Sean, why don't you tell me about what has delighted you at CES this year? Absolutely. And in fact, what I will do instead is I will refuse to participate in this tectonics overload <laughs> because I have a serious pet peeve about CES. And What's this your is, pet this peeve, is where Sean? It comes from. First of all. CES, if you don't know, is the largest technology conference of the year. It is the, the conference where everybody goes to show off their new gadgets, their new software, all the new technology they've been working on. It's the biggest conference of its kind. It is also called the CES stands for the Consumer Electronics Show. Mm -hmm. And a long time ago, in a far off place, there used to be many different conferences. And during the dot-com bubble, there were some very big software technology conferences. And when the dot-com bubble burst, those all went away. And we were left with CES, which used to be the bastion of Sony and uh, Zenith and, you know, the people making TVs and making yeah. stereo systems, which used to be what consumer electronics were. But all of a sudden, now we had a vacuum and we had no technology. So consumer electronics became the conference for everything. It is now mm -hmm. the largest conference in at least the U.S. It's not bigger than 3GSM yet, so it's not the biggest one in the world, but yeah, at least in the, the U.S. Though. it's the biggest one. Yeah. And the problem I have with it is it's so big it's become completely useless because everyone goes there and everyone talks about what they're doing. It takes over a good portion of Las Vegas, which is huge to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so at the point it gotten so big that really, what the hell is CES? CES is nothing. CES is like a bunch of days where everybody announces stuff at the same time. It's a Basically, I see it as a waste and too much information because you can't possibly keep track of all the things being announced. It'd be much better if we had some conferences that were a little more focused or some way to get this information out there. It's just, it's too much. And I, I have now on strike, I refuse to try and waste my week sorting through all of the noise to figure out what's interesting that's going on. I figure somebody else will figure that out in a few weeks and whatever people are still talking about, I'll, I'll look it up. Well, and I guess that ends this week's Tech Topic Overload uh, with a resounding exclamation point. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, and you never... That was for Stuart Scott, by the way. I, May he rest in peace. I, I would, yes. I would uh, I would like to point out that you do never rant. Um, and so that was not a rant. That was just a well-spoken... Um, a passionate argument in defense of my argument. opinions. Yes, and Sean, you know, um, speaking of passionate things, um, I think that we should take a moment to step aside and thank the sponsor this week. Um, and so this week we would like to thank Tiny Kittens HQ. Now, Tiny Kittens HQ is a foster home for kittens, but in a true noble fashion, they don't just foster the kittens, they showcase them in an amazingly cute stream on Twitter. Now this is all the better to find them loving and caring homes. You can't look at these kittens and not have one waltz into your heart and hopefully your home. Now, you might ask, how did we at Tech Moonshine come to know about Tiny Kittens HQ? And the answer is that our longtime listener and original show sponsor, Anthony Watkins, has turned us on to them. 
Anthony believes in the Tiny Kitten HQ mission, so much so that he personally checks out every single Tiny Kitten's HQ post on Twitter. He raves on a daily basis about how wonderful and fluffy and cute they are, which is why he decided to help with this week's sponsorship. Now, the best part is that you can even spend your days like Anthony, and Anthony spends his days watching the live stream at new.livestream.com slash tiny kittens. So if you're looking to support an amazingly cute cause, one that's supported by friend of the show, Anthony Watkins, then you should mosey on over to at tiny kittens HQ on Twitter or new.livestream.com slash tiny kittens. Your cute meter will thank you. We would like to thank tiny kittens HQ for sponsoring this week's show. So Sean, that about takes care of it. Why don't you carry us out? Thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation on Twitter using the at Tech Moonshine account or find us on the web at techmoonshine.com. You can also chat with Mike and I directly. Mike's on Twitter as Rollins.io and I'm on Twitter as S. Burns. Special thanks to Jeff Holtzinger, our banjo picker, and his track Bent Nails, which you heard at the beginning of the podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Please join us next week for more 200 Proof Truth about tech.